Y'all are awesome. That's awesome. That's right. We are building our life, right, ladies? Part of this weekend, you're just learning how to build your life. I'm learning how to build my life. You know, we, we, we go to learning situations for everything else, and then life we just stumble and bumble through, right? We don't have to. God's given us His Word. It's been so good to be in it with you this weekend, and I love just hearing as I walk through the house, or I heard some people coming up the stairs. I don't know if you know, but Nicole and I are up those stairs at the top, and so sometimes as you're coming up the stairs, I can hear what you're talking about. <laughs> but this morning, I heard some just the greatest you know, things being said about just the word, right? And I love it when people leave an event that we as a ministry host, and they're not talking about all the extra stuff, but they're talking about the word, right? They're not talking about drama stuff or anything, but they're talking about the word. They're talking about what God's doing in their heart. That's a win for me, right? That says that we've had our focus in the right place, and that God's been moving in this place, and I know he has been. So whoever you were, I don't know who you were, but it was great to hear your conversation. So it's hard to believe, it always is on Saturday morning, that we it's Saturday morning, right? Because it seems like we just got here. But I want you to know, this is like the best day. So there's a lot going to happen today. And I'm excited. I've been looking forward to today um, all weekend. And one of the reasons why is because of what we're going to be studying today in the Word this morning. And then tonight, uh, to me, these verses bring everything to a height of hope, right? And, uh, and they're just going to be good. They're going to be rich. They're going to be things I think we hold on to for, um, for the rest of our lives. Because God wants us to know that this hope is sure and, and steadfast. Have you ever asked the question, are you sure? Sure you have, right? <laughs> we ask it all the time. We ask it all the time. Because there are some things in this life you just got to be sure. You know, sometimes we ask that question just for clarity's sake, maybe about something that really doesn't matter. I mean, you might look at the barista at your coffee shop and say, are you sure? Like, like making sure they got what you want after you just listed 10 things and your complicated drink, you know. And maybe that is like a really big deal to you, and it is to me too, because I, I want to get it right if I'm going to spend the money on it. But, you know, we'll ask the question for clarity, are you sure? But sometimes we ask that question, are you sure? Because life is really at stake, right? And I know just even listening to our stories this weekend, you know, as you're pressing forward and moving forward into the things that God has for you, you know, we got to know for sure. Sometimes we don't know for sure, though. We want to be in a place where we don't have questions, right? Where we're not wondering, where we don't have doubts about if something is true or not. We want to know for sure. But the reality is all of us live in a place where trust is not sure, right? It's not. It's hard to trust. People lie to you. People mislead you. People will overpromise, right? And then very much underdeliver and and just not be able to meet your expectations. And the reality is we are also those people to other people, right? People have expectations of us. People want to be able to look at us and say, "Are you sure?" and we let them down. So it's just this big this big place of untrust in a lot of ways. And because that's true, all of us at times find ourselves asking the question, "Are you sure?" If you think about it, society has even put in a lot of surety safeguards for us, right? If you go into a courtroom and you have to testify, what do you have to do? You have to put your hand on the Bible and raise your hand and say, I ensure what I'm about to say is true. Although we know that people even lie, you know, when they do that. But that's a surety safeguard for us. You know, if you have a contract, maybe on a house or whatever, you have to put a deposit down, right? 
because your word isn't good enough. <laughs> People want to know that you're going to follow through. If you make a reservation at a hotel, you've got to put down a credit card, right? Because they got to know, hey, I got you if you mess up my stuff, if you don't show up, all of these different things. So there are times that we're, you know, having to move into dynamics like that, but there are times that we are asking, are you sure? And no amount of money, no deposit, nothing like that is going to assure us, right? We need more. And I love what this chapter is going to teach us today because God sees our questioning hearts. He sees our fears. He sees our concerns. He knows we live in a place where trust is not certain, but he knows that he is, right? He is. And yesterday, we looked at verses 13 through 15, where God said to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. I want to read those for us again. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Today, we're going to see God has spoken to us in the same way actually in an even greater way than what he spoke to Abraham. And he's going to speak to us with surety. See, if we keep reading, listen to what it says. It says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation as an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. We're going to dig into these verses this morning. You've got your Hebrews 6 sheet. You've got that note page that says, I'm sure at the top. And it's my prayer this morning that these verses are going to give us the more that our hearts are needing. I know some of us came here this weekend as I've listened to you share and and, and spend time with you, just hearing your stories. You know, you're not, you, you didn't come in here with a surety, right? Your, your hearts were questioning, you were feeling a lot of hopelessness, but when you leave here, I want you to know that God has spoken to you by his word and saying, I'm sure, surely I will bless you. Surely I will multiply you, there is a hope. God, I thank you for bringing us into a place to study your word into a weekend where we can know how to build our lives, God. And we can build our lives on the surety of your promises and the oath you have given us. And I pray this morning you will break these truths open into our heart and they will delight our souls and be something that we will never forget about your precious son, Jesus. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God knows. He knows this place is full of uncertainty, a place where trust is questioned. So this passage says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation, and it's an end of every dispute. That's, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier when we said, you know, people have to come into a courtroom and swear on the Bible, or you got to put down a deposit. This is saying that men, men here on the earth, we swear by something greater than ourselves. The reason we do that is because we don't trust each other. <laughs> We don't trust each other. So we have to find something greater than our word or our trustworthiness, our integrity, to be able to assure somebody that, hey, what I, I really mean what I'm saying. 
So we'll say things like, swear on my mother's grave, right? I got my hand on the Bible. Cross my heart, hope to die. I'll, put, I'll give you money to let you know for sure. Something greater. And we, we've all said those kind of things, right? And, and we've all expected other people to say them to us. I mean, really? For you to be here this weekend, we wouldn't take your name until you gave us your money. <laughs> I mean, you know, so even because, let me tell you, we've been doing this for a long time, and we know. I mean, and it's just people. It's just people. And we are those people sometimes. So that's part of the reason why we say, give us your money, and then we'll let you come, right? Because we got to be sure. we got to be sure that you're going to follow through. But here's the thing, ladies. This is what God did for us. He wanted us to know how unchangeable his purpose of blessing to us was, how sure it was toward us, that he stepped his completely faithful, holy, perfect being into our world of broken trust. If you've ever had your integrity questioned, you know it stinks, right? It's offensive to us when somebody does not believe what we're saying. They don't trust our word. Even though deep down inside, every one of us know our integrity is not perfect, right? We still get offended if somebody questions our trust. Well, imagine God, perfectly trustworthy, perfectly holy, yet looking down upon the earth, knowing the promises he has made to us, and that he is holy, and yet he's willing to step into our way of doing things. He had already given his word. I'm going to bless all the descendants of the earth through you, Abraham. So those blessings come down to us. But for us, his word just isn't enough. And so he steps his being into our place. Like it said in verse 16, the way that men does things, that they have to swear, and, and then that ends the, the um, conflict within them to know, okay, they really are going to do what they said because they, they, they swore on something greater than themselves. But verse 17 tells us, in the same way, God, perfect God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. God gave an oath. He gave a deposit, a swear in, to let us know, ladies, that his promise of better things, of life abundant, is a sure promise. He met us where we are, in our skepticism, in our, oh, I just don't know, right? In our lack of trust, he stepped in. And he stepped in with an oath. And we're going to talk about that oath in, in just a minute. But look at what verse 17 specifically tells us about him. It says, in the same way God, desiring even more. That shows us the depth of his love, his desire to bless us, the purpose in his heart for those things. So desiring even more. More than what? More than what? Well, I think he wanted us to know even more than he wanted Abraham to know. He wanted us to be absolutely certain. We have the privilege of being on the other side of Abraham's story, right? We can see the end of it. We can see all that God, you know, we talked about this last night, the bigness of what God was promising. Yes, he was promising Isaac a son, and that was for Abraham his most personal, you know, desire but God was doing a million other things through that. He had blessings, better things beyond what Abraham could even see. And when he spoke to Abraham, he wanted Abraham to be sure. That's why he kept showing up again and again and again and giving his word and telling him what he was going to do. But this tells us that 
God's heart for us in this is even bigger. It, it matters more to him that we on the other side of this story know even more, have even more surety than Abraham had. God promised to Abraham, surely I will bless you. Surely I will multiply you. This says, in the same way God, desiring even more. You know, we see the other side of Abraham's story. and We see how much affection God had for Abraham, how much he loved him, that friendship that they had. And yet God desires us, the heirs of the promise, to know even more. It's even more important to have. That speaks, ladies. That speaks. We are the heirs of, those pro of the promise. If you're wondering, who are the heirs of the promise? We are. Let me explain that. The heirs of the promise, people that inherit the promises given to Abraham, are people, the Bible tells us, who God called his children. Now, at first, that was the Jews. They were the heirs of the promise. But the word of God tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we become a child of God, right? We're born again into the family of God. So if we accept Christ, we also become heirs, heirs of the promise that um, was given to Abraham. And God wanted us so much to be sure that these, these promises, this better things promise is for us too, that instead of just giving his word, which should be enough for us, he stepped in and he also gave an oath like we do on the earth. He stepped into our world and it says he interposed with an oath. Now that's a big word, right? I don't, I don't remember the last time I ever used that word, interposed. What it means is to give surety. Okay, it's, it's got a, an idea of a mediator, somebody stepping into the middle of a conflict where here's a holy God wanting to bless us and here's us, this people on earth that don't trust God. And so this mediation had to happen for him to give surety to it. That's what it means when it says he interposed with an oath. So what was the oath? An oath, the Bible tells us right here, is something that gives confirmation to somebody's word. Once the oath is given, then that gives confidence to the one receiving it. For instance, when Nicole got your money to come here, then we were confident that you weren't just going, oh, I'd like to come to that fall Bible getaway. You know, you meant it, right? You meant it. You got your money in and you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. And that's why verse 16 says that's just how the world operates. Because once you put your oath on something, everybody settles down, right? They're like, okay, the uncertainty is dealt with. Because the receiving party knows my interests have been protected. Because you just did something greater than your word. I don't trust your word, but I'll trust something greater than that. With Abraham, God gave him his word. You read through all of that in Genesis that we looked at last night over and over again. God was giving him a word, giving him a word, giving him a word. And he wanted Abraham to have faith in that word. But with us, the heirs of the promise, he desires even more for us to be sure so that we can always have hope. So he interposed with this oath. oath. And instead of giving only his word, he stepped into our way of doing things and gave us something greater to hold on to. God's word should be enough. We shouldn't miss that truth, right? It should be enough for us. And hopefully as he redeems us, we learn to take him at his word for everything. But in our broken state, in our untrustworthy world, in our ways amidst asking, are you sure every time we turn around, this tells us that God met us where we are and he stepped into this brokenness and he said, yes, I am sure. He said, yes, I'm sure. He gave us an oath. Now, if you've been reading through this, 
It says in verse 13, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He just gave his word, right? Because there's nothing greater for God. He can't say, I'm going to put my hand on the Bible. I mean, he is the Bible, right? He can't, there's nothing greater than God. So what is he going to give as his oath? He gave himself. Because there's nothing greater. He gave us himself in Christ. Abraham had to believe by faith, by the word of promise. We, the heirs of the promise, experience the oath of the ministry of Christ. So that we can know that God is sure. Let me read verse 17 and 18 again. We just want these truths to sink in. In the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. In order that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. So before we move on, let's make sure we're all clear. What are the two unchangeable things? The first one is the word of his promise. God told us, I'm going to surely bless you. The second thing is his oath, himself, because there's nothing greater, right? In the person and work of Jesus Christ. God gave us these two unchangeable things so that we could be strongly encouraged to hope. You know, I can only imagine for God what it feels like when he looks down upon the earth and he sees us being tossed about, discouraged and disappointed and thinking nothing better is going to come or just settling down into patterns of living so much less than what he has for us. He sees us as a holy God, knowing what he has for us, struggling when we were never designed to struggle. And then on top of it, as he sees us tossed here and about, we're like, I don't know if I can really trust you, right? As a parent, I hate to see my kids struggling and hurting. It rips my heart out. And God, being the perfect father, I can only imagine how it pains him to see us hopeless when he not only did one thing, but he did two things, right? To give us that surety of hope. He wants us to be, like it says here, strongly encouraged, not just encouraged, but strongly encouraged. So he did those two things that we might have strong encouragement. We, it says here, who have fled for refuge into laying hold of, like taking hold of that hope and setting it before us. Or he set it before us and we take hold of it. Not everybody flees for refuge into God's hope. Even a lot of believers never really flee for refuge into God's hope. But I hope this weekend we're all saying, ah, that's where I'm going. <laughs> that is a true refuge. And tonight we're going to talk more about the true refuge that we find in Jesus and, and the fact that he is an anchor. We're going to dig into the anchor. There's so much there. So, so, so good. I'm excited about that. But for now, let's look at the oath. The way that he gave us this oath, because it's so good, it's so rich. In our non-trusting world, we've already established we needed more, so God gave us more, right? He gave us his word, it wasn't enough for us, so he also gave us his oath. And Jesus is that oath, he's our hope. Verses 19 through 20 tell us more about who he is as, as our oath, right? 
We know those verses now, right, ladies? So we're going to say them together, hopefully. If you don't know the last part yet, just use it. But let's, let's go. We can do this. Here we go. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Awesome. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And it tells us what Jesus did for us as our oath. It says he entered as a forerunner for us. Nicole was telling me, was it Jen who said, yeah, she likes the car forerunner, so that's a way to, like, and sometimes you just got, with memorization, you got to find ways to click in. Yes. No, it was helping her. It's good. So I loved it. Yeah, anything you can do to get it in there, right? But what, it says he entered as a forerunner for us. So he entered where? Where did he enter? Into the presence of God. Actually, in verse 19, it tells us specifically where. Within the what? Within the veil. To Jewish Christians, who this was written to, made total sense because they knew all about that. But if you're not familiar with the structure of the temple or the tabernacle, that, that might not make sense to you. So I'm going to take just a second to explain it. And the tabernacle, which was their first structure and then later the temple, there was a veil that separated the holy place where the priest would go in and light the candles and put the showbread and put the incense in and all of those things represent parts of our worship it's fascinating but then behind then there was this huge veil and it was made out of a very very thick tapestry and in the old testament god gave very clear directions of what colors to use and how to weave this thing and so there's this veil and then on the other side is where they kept the ark of the covenant and that was not just symbolic of god's presence but his presence was there right and so they were not allowed in the presence of god when sin entered the world god banned man from the presence of God, from the life of God, from the blessings of God, and they had the priest trying to intercede in that conflict of sin of man and holiness of God, but, and God set up a way because God wanted them to be drawn to himself, and he knew eventually all of this would be taken care of in Christ, but at this time in history, you've got these separated places, so they'd make their sacrifices, they'd come into the holy place, then you've got this veil, and then you've got the holy of holies, and once a year, the high priest of the nation would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. Only he was allowed to enter and he went in with much fear and trepidation because sometimes they didn't make it back out. They would literally put bells on the body. Bells were a part of their priestly garments anyway, but they would put bells on ropes and different things. Sometimes they would attach ropes to them so that if they died in there, nobody had to go in and get them out. They could pull them out. There was such a sense of shame. And the bell, they wanted to be able to hear that they're still moving around. <laughs> right? You go, is he dead? Is he alive? Because I'm not going in to check. Right? There was such a sense of reverence and fear. Because sometimes the priests would go in, they were just men. And they would go in and their hearts were not pure. They had not consecrated themselves in the way they were supposed to. And they wouldn't come out alive. So that, we, we don't get it, right? Because we just show up however we want. Give me my coffee. I'll worship Jesus. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we don't have a clue what this would have been like. But this place was off limits. And that meant so were the better things of God. The better things of God were not free-flowing like they are to us today. See, ever since the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned, 
access to the presence of God was off limits. But that once a year moment when under the system of the law, and this was all God's idea because he was wanting to draw people to himself. The priest was permitted to go on the other side of that veil and make atonement for the sins of the people. Basically, he was going in and presenting the blood of the lamb that they had just, or the blood of the bull or whatever they sacrificed for the people out in the, in the court. They would do that and then the priest would wash and come through and go all of this. And then he's going to do that. And he's hoping just a little bit that maybe God might pour some of his blessings out on his people. As people, we're well, well aware of our shame. I mean, we know I shouldn't be allowed in God's presence. Um, I, I can't even imagine why God would want to bless me. And a lot of times that sense of shame only fuels our sense of hopelessness. And that's why we a lot of times get tossed around in these life struggles. But when we understand what verse 19 and 20 are saying to us, we will run for refuge because we will be so strongly encouraged. Because what this tells us is that Jesus went in there first. He was the forerunner. He's the one that entered behind the veil on our behalf. That happened when he died on the cross. And it was an act of God. It's part of this oath because what happened, and you've probably read this before, but when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that the veil was ripped in two. And it wasn't ripped from the bottom where men were standing down here with scissors cutting it, you know, or something. No, from top to bottom. That means that God was saying no more, right? Now Jesus has paid the sacrifice for everyone's sin. There is no more shame. There is no more off limits to my blessings. He opened up the door. He opened it. He paid for it. He went in first and he left the door open for us. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt like you were supposed to have access, but the door was closed in your face? And I don't mean metaphorically, but literally you're not allowed in. I remember one time going to this huge ministry meeting in Atlanta. Some guy had come in and was going to be speaking and everything, and he was all the hype at the time or whatever. I wanted to go. And we went down there. I've never seen so many people in all my life. And it was this round building, like one of the domes or something down in Georgia. And we lived down there, and um, we walked around that building. I don't know how many times, but there was no more access because there were so many people. And I was so disappointed because I wanted to be allowed in, but we were not allowed in. Sometimes I think that's how we feel, and we need to just know this truth. Jesus entered as a forerunner, and he left the door open for us. And when we understand that we have access to go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwells and all his blessings just organically and naturally flow out of who he is, then we realize that there is fullness of life, ladies, for our marriages, for our emotions, for our finances, our relationships, our thoughts, our work, our families, anything you could ever imagine. Nothing is off limit. That's why he says we're convinced of better things, right? Because Jesus has gone to the door and he sees all the better things there. And that hope for that, the hope for those better things doesn't shift, it doesn't change, it doesn't wear out, it doesn't fade away. How do we know that? Because all other kinds of hope do, right? The hopes that rise and fall on whether or not this works out for me or not, that's going to change. And even if you get your hope fulfilled, whatever it is, even that is subject to change. It's not eternal probably, whatever it is you're hoping for. Even our own physical lives, right? But there is hope that doesn't fade away, and it's described for us right here in verse 20. It's this hope. 
See, he says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. He says that in 19. And he tells us where Jesus entered as a forerunner for us. And then it says, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world was Melchizedek, right? Who in the world was he? Let's look for just a moment at this, all right? Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, because you do know that when the Bible is written, it wasn't written like chapter 6, chapter 7. This is verse That was later man doing that just to help us be able to have some semblance of order that we could, you know, learn together, all right, and have some structure to it. But no, he's just continuing the thought. So think of this as a continuation of thought as we go into chapter 7. He says, for this Melchizedek, he's basically going, let me remind you who he is, because the Jews would have known who Melchizedek was. But he says, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, you don't have this on your sheet, but in your Bible, if you've got that open for 7, 1 through 3, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the king's and blessed him. So let me explain that. There were times that Abraham fought battles, as, and you probably read some of that last night. You might have even read about Melchizedek as you were reading through him. So he's coming back from this battle that he had won, and all of a sudden, this priest of, of God Most High, this king of Salem, just shows up out of nowhere. And he starts blessing Abraham. And then Abraham turns around because he had come out of that battle with all kinds of spoil and plunder, and he gave 10% of it to the priests, okay? That's really kind of the first tithe, you see, all right? And so there's this person, and he shows up. And then it keeps describing him in verse 2 here of chapter 7. To whom? To Melchizedek. Also, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, what I just told you. And then it describes who he is. He was, first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. So his name actually means king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which that means king of peace. And then it says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. See, back then, they knew your family line. They knew where you came from. But this guy shows up and they're like, he doesn't belong here. <laughs> we never seen him before. We don't know who he is. We don't know who his mama is, who his daddy, his grandmother. Great. We don't know. He doesn't have any of that. And then it says, but made like the son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So much interesting stuff about Melchizedek. Many of the descriptions here are descriptions of Jesus, right? Uh, he is king of righteousness. He is king of peace. He doesn't have father or mother or genealogy, and he is a priest perpetually, our high priest. Many people, including myself, believe that Melchizedek was actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament, appearing before he was born here later on the earth. And, and that kind of appearance happened multiple times in the Old Testament. It's actually called a Christophany, like Christophany, all right? But regardless of whether or not you believe that, the point being made is that Christ is different than any other of the other priests. In fact, if you go on to read chapter 7, that's what it's doing. It's saying, well, this is what normal priests are like, and this is what Jesus is like. It's just this comparison going back and forth. See, Jesus is of a higher order, right? He's a priest forever. He will be a priest perpetually. The rest of the priests, they're men. Right? Sometimes their hearts are pure, sometimes they're not. 
just like our pastors. You know, a lot of times we like to set them up as these, you know, people. I know people have done that with me, even in being in ministry. It's like you think we're not human or something. We're just like you, you know, struggle. We have all the same struggles. But Jesus is in a totally different category than that. He's in this order of Melchizedek, which is really, I believe, the order of himself, right? Because he came and made an appearance before it was time for him to be physically born on the earth. But what that means is he's of a higher order and he will be a priest forever. What does that have to do with hope? Well, it matters so much in regard to hope. Because what this tells us is that Christ is always going to be inside the holy place, right? Mediating as a priest before God on our behalf. He's the one. He's come. It's finished. It's done. So nothing that we have ever done or will ever do, when he died for your sins, he died for the sins you'd already committed and the ones you still will commit. When you go home from fall Bible getaway, you're going to sin. You'll probably sin today while you're here, right? But Jesus, I will. But because we've got layers of sin in our lives that God is redeeming, things we're not even aware of yet, right? And so what this means is that he is forever our high priest. In the Holy of Holies, the door wide open for us to come in as well, but he's in there talking to God about us and about the better things that God had in mind for us. Not that God needs to be reminded, but reminding God, you promised you'd bless them, right? You said it with your word and you said it by sending me. The better things of life can only be found in the fullness of of God. We have a perpetual living hope in Jesus. In Jesus. He is the surety of our hope. He is the guarantee of our hope. That's why he's the oath, right? We make an oath by putting our money down. God put, made the oath by putting himself down. And that's a guarantee that lives forever. So we never have to wonder I wonder if my better things have run out, right? I wonder if I've gone too far, messed up my life too much. We never have to wonder that because Jesus is always there. That's why this gives us hope, that surety of hope. He opened the door, he went in first, and he'll always be there. That's hope, living hope. God wants us, ladies, to be sure to be sure, to be strongly encouraged. Verse 18 says that, right? He did this in order that by two unchangeable things he could strongly encourage us. Do you remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I remember that show? Yeah, it's a fun show to watch. The, the gist of that show was the contestants would come on and their you know, aspiration was to win a million dollars by answering a series of questions that just got harder and harder, right? And, and the, the money um, stake would be higher and higher. And they hoped that they would be able to win this money, right, to get to the top. I don't know that I ever saw anybody get, maybe once, I think, get all the way to the top. But it appeared that the host who was you know, hosting them in the show wanted them to to win too, like he would encourage them on. And one of the ways I realized that was because the host would always ask this question. Once they would answer the question, because they would be asked a question, there would be four answers they could choose from, and they're like, ooh, you know, because a lot was at stake. And then they would say, B, like my answer's B. And the host would look at them and say, is that your final answer, right? In other words, are you sure, right? Because a lot of things are at stake. So I was putting our thoughts together and spending time with the Lord getting this 
ready to share. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that game show. I hadn't watched that game show in so long. Because I think he wants to ask us a question. He wants to know, is hope your final answer? Is it your final answer? See, God desires for us to always live in the hope of better things. Not to be swirling and whirling based on what happens or doesn't happen today, but to never entertain, even go there in our minds, a different stance. Because Jesus never leaves the Holy of Holies. He is a priest perpetually in there on our behalf. Later in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, if you want to turn over there, same people being written to, in verse 23, he says something. Now, he had already told them, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, back in chapter 6. Now, in chapter 10, as he's talking about a new and living way that they're living in, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, right? For he who promised is faithful. So the point of this is, is that if I say my hope is my final answer, then there should never be a moment in my life where I am wavering, right? The waves might be threatening, but I will know how to pick up my anchor, who is Jesus, the living hope, and put it right down into the junk that I'm dealing with and know that my life is going to be held steady. If you put an anchor down to the water, you cannot see what it grabs hold of. You cannot see what it's doing, but you know that it is by that rope tethering your life or tethering that ship, right, down into something good, right? Down into something that's going to hold it steady. And that's what God does for us. We're going to talk about that more tonight. But we should be able, as believers, this is God's hope for us, that we would hold unswervingly, that we would not be here and there and there uh, based on, oh, no, this happened today, and now it looks even worse than it did before. No, that's not who we are, right? My final answer is hope. So I just don't even go there. When my husband and I married, we, we clearly had a conversation. We said divorce is not a word that is allowed in our family. We don't even use that word. We don't even know what it means because we took a stand. That was our final answer. Now, I want to say, because I, I don't know all of you here, and I don't know, some of you may have been through divorce. That's not, that's not like the end of the story. Why? Because Jesus is in the Holy of Holies, and there's still hope after that. You know, divorce is, is less than God's best for us, just like anything else is. I mean, we try to put some things in you know, worse categories than other, but they all affect us, and they produce death. That's what it does. But we, in the same way, need to not allow hopelessness to even be part of our vocabulary. We don't even need to know what that means because we're so sure, we're so sure. Our final answer is hope because we know that Jesus, our living hope, is in the Holy of Holies for us. So Amber's going to come. We're going to sing a song as we close if you want to go ahead and be getting that ready. But I just want to ask you this question. If you were to be asked the question, is Jesus your hope? And you were to say yes. And the Holy Spirit were to look at you and say, is that your final answer? Would you be able to say yes? That is my final answer. And if that is your final answer, then, oh my goodness, that affects everything. In fact, it affects your soul, which is the, the place where your life is expressed. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight because our word says this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, right? 
This hope will change your life, your years, your days. It is totally different than any other kind of hope you could ever grab hold of. It's sure, it's steadfast and an anchor for your soul. And the reason why is because it's based on two things that will never change, God's promise and God's oath in Jesus, guaranteeing for us, ladies, better things. We're gonna pass out these cards that we're gonna use. So this prayer says, as we're praying this scripture that we just talked about, God, say it with me. God, thank you for Jesus, the guarantee of your promises. In him, I can always have hope. Let's do it one more time. And we'll begin to sing. Thank you for Jesus, the guarantee of your promises. In him, I can always have hope. God bless.